Amen. And one of the um, kind of philosophies of ministry at our church is that we don't want to sit around and create a lot of events and programs and then do a lot of calling for you to come fill time slots. Um, we have a few events, of course, but our heart is that you would hear God's call in your life, whatever it would be, and then you would launch out into that, and then you would let the church be a help, a support, and a resource to you in whatever God would have you do. It's why there's a group that goes on Friday nights to Teen Challenge and does a worship service, because the Lord laid that on somebody's heart, and the church helped how the church could, but this was a motivation of somebody's call. So the Ball family came to me, um, or I had dinner at their house, and they share this call in this way. Um, this was one of the first ones I was like, wait, now come again? What, what's, what, what do you guys want to do here? And there's a boldness in what God has called them to do. And I would say a lot of faith to step out, even logistically, and what's in front of them. And, uh, and, and so uh, this morning, we thought, uh, even though we're in the middle of this sermon series, and I know you're really, really sad about not hearing me preach uh, this morning. Um, I mean, I can go right when they're done this morning. I'm ready if you need. You just let me know. Uh, I thought it was much more important that you would hear them and hear their testimony. And, and what better place than here at their home church for them to come up and to share what God is doing and where God is directing. Now, the first time I heard the call on their heart and their desire and what would happen in going out, I thought, they might be a little nuts, uh, this family. And I might be right. right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, But we are looking forward to however a, this church family can help and support and be there. Um, and the first step is this morning, you hearing their testimony and their heart. And so would you welcome the Ball family to come up and share with you? We want to thank you all for letting us come. Letting us join, join you and share with you our story. Want to share with you what the rest of the rope means and share a little bit of our adoption story with you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for another beautiful Sunday to worship you. And we thank you for this congregation and what they minister to each other and stand for each other and support each other. We pray that you'll bless them and we pray to bless the people at home watching on TV or on the screen too. For it's in your name. Amen. All right, so I get to tell you a little bit about our family. Many of you already know our family, but for those who don't, um, this is Steve and I the day before we got married, only just six years ago. And I came to uh, Steve with two pretty well-groomed children and two kind of annoying dogs. And when I met Steve, he didn't have any children. And so he said, you know, I would love to have some children. And so we decided we would like to do foster adoption, one or two children. And so we attended a informational meeting uh, with a foster group and decided we were going to take the next step with the next classes. So this next picture is me, obviously, much younger, with my friend Tina. Now, if you don't realize how God is working in your life from day one, when you have no idea 
what he's doing. You got to hear this story because I, I love that about this story. So I met Tina. I was 18. She had three children and she was going through a divorce. And we became friends and we remained friends. And when I came here and decided to marry Steve in North Carolina, she actually lived in North Carolina. She came to our wedding. During that time, Sarah turned 18 and I posted on social media that I missed having babies in my home. And I immediately got a call from Tina. And she said, my daughter's children are in trouble. And they need help. I was just on court yesterday with them on the phone, because they're from California. And they're going to need a place to stay. Have you thought about adoption, fostering? And we said, yes, actually, we just did. And she said, now there's five. And I said, oh, no. Now, we were one. We prayed for one or two but there were five. So the next week, we got on a plane with Tina and flew to California to meet these children. Between the time of meeting the kids and building the adoption was about two years. It was hard in many ways and beautiful in many ways. But we volunteered in support groups and volunteered as mentors for people who were coming along. There was a lot of hardships in our story and the stories we heard, thus the frustration with the system. And social workers are overworked, underpaid, and underfunded. And judges are disconnected from their families and their, and their children. And Teresa and I felt that we needed to do something about that and address the limitations we encountered with the social system and services. And we were discussing this with the kids attorney one day, and he wanted to share, us, share to us the, what, the story of, of, adopt, of the foster care. In the prior 1900s, the children were cared for by the churches and the families or were living on the street. And as far back as the Old Testament, we have examples of, of adults taking care of children who are not their biological family. We have Pharaoh daughter, and, jo and Moses, and we have Eli and Samuel, we have Mordecai and Esther, and oh, Jesus and Joseph. Have you seen this before? In the year 191198, Pope John Innocent III said there had to be a revolving, there had to be a baby hatch and eat all the churches. A mom could pl place their baby in a baby hatch there, and it would turn around to the inside of the church, and the nuns and the volunteers would come and take care of the baby. It was the church's responsibility to care for the children. And in the 1850s, the government became involved in foster care and home placements. By the 1900s, the government had established its role in child welfare. However, the, the government is not concerned with the spiritual welfare of our children. And in Matthew 25, 35, and 40, it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer them, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And when did we see you naked and clothe you? And 
and when were you a stranger, and we welcomed you, or naked, and clothed you? And when will you see the sick and in prison? When did, we, when did we visit you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it one to the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me. But it is more important that God has commanded us to teach truth. In Matthew 19, 13, 14, the children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. We need to bring Jesus back into foster care. We have to reach out to the hearts of these children. The children have done nothing about their situations and can't do anything about it. But how can we do this? Churches, Christians need to get involved in caring for their hearts and their souls. Not some Christians, not some churches, but all. So I get to talk to you about all the reasons not to do this. And there's a lot of them. Steve and I have heard them all. We've felt them all. Um, and they're very valid reasons. But I want to say first, when we're talking about foster care, that we don't just mean foster care. Because there's a lot of grandparents out there taking care of their grandbabies. There's a lot of people who have their teenagers, have friends who need a home, and they just bring them in. There are guardianship situations. There's relative care where all sorts of relatives bring their ch these children in and take care of them. So I'm going to use the term foster care, but really I'm talking about anybody who's taking care of a children who come from hard places and are vulnerable and need help. All right, so here's excuse number one. I hear this all the time. I will fall in love with them and be brokenhearted when they leave. Have you all heard that? I just said y'all. I'm from California. Sorry, California <laughs> friends. Um, you will. You will. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. You're going to fall in love with them. It will take a day, and they will capture your heart, and you will fall in love with them, and you will most likely get your heart broken. It's not easy. In fact, it can be really hard. But our message today is that God wants to bring these children home. So if you have a child for five days in your home, five years or forever, what will be more important than any pain you might feel if they have to leave or if you have to see them hurt will be that you get the opportunity to teach them about Jesus. And what a precious position you are in to be able to do that. If this child accepts Jesus into his heart or you set a foundation for others to build on in the future, you get to be with that child for eternity. You captured Jesus, for this child, they won't forget that. We have a nine-year-old boy who you all have not met. Uh, this is him on the screen. This is a day uh, last year, almost a year ago exactly, uh, that we had spent a week with him, and we were saying goodbye. And if you think my heart wasn't breaking when these pictures were taken... We're not allowed to use his name or show his face, but he is the full-blooded brother to the four kids that you know that are here with us today. He was with us for 15 months before social services came and took him back. 
Steve and I have never felt grief like we felt that day when the social worker pulled up in her car and drove off with him. The pain lasted days, months. As you can see, years later, I'm aching to hold him and have him with me. After a failed group home placement, he ended up in a Christian mental treatment facility. The day he arrived there, he met with his therapist, and the therapist said, tell me one thing. What's the most important thing I need to know about you? And this little boy, who was five and a half at the time, said, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. Steve and I thought we had failed this child, but he found Jesus in our home. And I would go through this pain all over again to know that my little boy knows Jesus, believes in Jesus. We may not get to see him much now, although we do still visit him. We will get to see him while we're on the road. We get to talk to him all the time. But more importantly, I get to spend eternity with my little boy who has accepted Jesus and who to this day believes that he is going to be a pastor. So are you willing to be brokenhearted for the opportunity to pour Jesus into a child who may not otherwise never know Jesus? All right. Second thing we hear, they have behavior issues and special needs. Yep, some do, most do. I have two biological children, and um, they have some needs too. <laughs> it can be hard. The struggle's real in foster adoption, but this church is why we need to be supporting the families in our congregation who are serving in this capacity. They need you. We're all busy. I get it. You all have your own kids and jobs, and I get it. But these families, they need you. If you look around, and in this church, it wouldn't, you didn't have to look far to see families who have adopted, who are fostering children from hard places. If you look at some of those families right now, they need you. Even if they're years in, they need you. It is a privilege to be able to step in and walk with these children, with these families. They belong to God. They are our family. And you're not alone in this. It is hard. But Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. There's a man here, Mr. Ken, and he has walked alongside us the entire time. And I have called him in tears. And God has been gracious to our family to send us somebody who can support us and help us and walk us through. God will send you the support that you need. All right, third reason. I don't have any money. Kids are expensive. And I don't have any rooms. So I'm going to tell you about a very regular couple. Nothing special about them. They had been married for less than a year. They were in their late 40s, pretty close to 50. They had a disabled daughter, a 1,500-square-foot home, a 10-year-old minivan, and a carpenter's salary. And I'm talking about Steve and I. I don't know what made us think we could do this that day we got that call. Our attorney once said, when you came to me, I couldn't believe you thought you could do this. But I saw you were trusting God for the details, 
and I wanted to see how God was going to work this out. Some people call this crazy. Really, most people call this crazy. I think probably the same things they're calling us now. And um, Steve and I tried to tell God, this is not a good idea. Not a good idea. We're old. I don't even know if I can bend over in the bathtub to give these little babies a bath. Like, we're old. But at our wedding, Sarah sang, I surrender all. And when we picked that song for our wedding, we meant it. But when it was time to be called to walk it out, did we really mean it? Were we willing to take five kids? Don't take five. Just take one or two. But were we willing to take five from hard places? When we were in the courthouse one day with our attorney and we were feeling defeated and he said, here's the problem with you guys. You think you are saving five kids and you are limiting God when you do that because he is going to use you to tell these children about God, salvation. Then he's going to take these five kids and use them to bring many to the kingdom. If you do not follow the will of God, you are not going to see his glory in this. I would love to share with you all the stories of how God moved mountains to make this possible. But Tom said I can only talk for 20 minutes, and that would take me a lot longer. So I'm not going to be able to do that today. But if anybody would ever love to sit with us, I, could, I would just love to share with you how God moved in this adoption of ours. Bob Goff, the author of Love Does, says, Don't worry about where you are going. I'm sorry, let's start over. Don't worry about what you are going to do when you get there. Just get there. If you want a rich faith, go do stuff. There is something beautiful in it. Always lots of good excuses. Just go do it. All right, here's the last one. I do not feel called to bring a child into my home. And this is, this is very true for many, many people. Let's be clear. Not everyone is able to be a foster parent. Not everyone has the skills or the desires to care full-time for kids from hard places. In fact, I think there are most of us that would not uh, be able to do that. But God has blessed us all with different skills and talents. Some are able to care for these children full-time in their homes. Others are able to financially support foster parents and caregivers. Others are able to provide help and resources. God created you with the gifts that you need to help care for and bring vulnerable children to Jesus. He has prepared you for this, all of you, in some way. Scripture's clear about our gifts, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we could walk in them. Foster and adoption families often look like they have it all together. This is one of my favorite pictures of our family on a Sunday morning. And don't we just look like everybody could do this, right? My kids have their bows and their matching outfits and their patent leather shoes. And my boys have ties and, you know, Steve's dressed. Yeah, and we were probably only 10 minutes late. (laughs) We were doing really good. But eventually I had to get off social media because I posted this picture on social media. And I felt in some ways like I was lying. Were we forming a loving family? Absolutely. Do my kids look adorable? You bet they do. But there was another side of desperation, exhaustion, loneliness. There was a point where between my six kids that were living with me at that time, I had 26 appointments per week. 
Thinking back now, I really have no idea how we did it. I want to share with you a couple ways that you can be an encouragement to the families who are doing it and support them and help them along. Here are a couple examples. You can make a meal for them. Take them something to eat. You could pull the weeds in their garden or mow the grass. You could offer a listening ear. You could be an uncle. They need uncles. They miss their, they don't have uncles anymore, or grandparents. You can send a gift card. You can offer a listening ear. I said that again. You have to listen better. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Fix the car. Take it in for an oil change. And oh, pray. Pray, pray, pray. When we display God's heart for the for others, we will experience God's heart more deeply for ourselves. God wants to show up in these kids' life, and he wants to use the church to do it. There are about 400,000 kids in foster care. Chris, how many churches are there in the U.S.? In the United States, there are 400,000. There are about 400,000 churches. Of these 400,000 children in foster care, most have never heard of Jesus, never held a Bible. We want to encourage you that when you go to the hearts of these children, then the kingdom will be impacted. I'm going to tell you a story about Aggie. This is uh, David and Svea Flood. They are missionaries. They went to Africa to meet another couple called the Ericsons. This was in 1921. And they decided they wanted to go after the hearts of a tribe in Africa. So they went um, to the tribal chief, and he said, no, you may not be here. So they said, okay, we believe that God has called us to these people. And so they set up camp a half a mile outside of the tribal land. And then they began praying for a breakthrough. But there was nothing. All they wanted was to just talk to somebody who would listen from this tribe to then tell about our wonderful Jesus. And nobody came. Eventually, the chief felt bad for them because he felt like they were probably really hungry. And so he sent a young boy with chicken and eggs twice a week. For five minutes, this little boy got to deliver these chickens and eggs to them. And so Savea said, okay, God, if this is the one you're going to send me, this is the one I'm going to lead to Jesus. And so she spent five minutes twice a week speaking to him about her Jesus. Malaria struck this missionary group as more people had joined them, and people got sick and had to leave or passed away. And the Ericsons got scared, so they left, leaving Svea and David there by themselves. She was pregnant. So she delivered this baby girl who was eventually going to be called Aggie, and then 17 days later she died. David cursed God, and he gave his baby to the Ericsons. He didn't understand why God had brought him to all of this. Why, why was this hard? For what? What was happening? And so he turned away from God. So Aggie went to go live with the Ericsons, and eight months later, the Ericsons passed away from disease. So then she's handed off to a family, a couple of missionaries from South Dakota. So she moves to the States, and she grows up with a very well-loved pastor. Uh, she goes to a private college. She meets a wonderful man. She has a great life. And then one day she comes face to face with her beginnings 
And she learned that this little boy that her mom had discipled to many years ago grew up to build a school in his village. Through that school, he was able to teach these children about Jesus. And guess what these kids did? They went home, and they taught their parents about Jesus. Eventually, all 600 members of this tribe were baptized and accepted Jesus, including the chief. He went on to plant churches. 110,000 people he baptized himself. There's so many beautiful details to the story, and look it up. It's all over. I can't believe I had never heard it before this year. But it's a beautiful story, and I would love you to hear how it all worked out. But here's the moral of the story. Svea had just a few moments with this boy twice a week and a whole lot of faith that God was going to do something with that. And because of that, thousands of believers were added to the kingdom. Generations were affected and nations turned towards God. All of you know Dakota, my daughter. Most of you do at least. And when she found out we were doing this mission, she asked if she could speak. And I'd like to let you hear a little bit from her. I was three the first time I put foster care, and I was six. I was three the first time I was put in foster care. I was six when I met my mom and dad. I now have my own bed, clean clothes, food to eat. I don't have to live in fear. But the most important thing to me is not how much my mom and dad love me, but how much God loves me. He created me and created this world for me. He will never leave me. Even though I've been hurt in this world, and if I believe in him as my Savior, he has promised to take me home and be with him. I may feel secure with my mom and dad, but I am secure with my Father in heaven. If you don't know our Dakota, she's very shy. And it was very important to her that you got to hear from her what it means to have God in her life now. All right, we're going to talk about how we came up with this weird name, The Rest of the Rope. This is a, a story that we've said to our kids for a couple of years now. Um, and it's just how we explain eternity to them, how we explain what we choose to do with our time on earth. So I want you to imagine that the, you have a rope, that we're going to have a rope in here, and we're going to wrap it up and down all these chairs. We're going to go out there, and we'll go wrap it around Cecil. Is he still sitting out there? Oh, he's over here. And the kids' rooms. And then maybe we go outside and wrap it around a few cars. Maybe we take it all the way down to Walmart. We wrap it around there. Maybe we even take it all the way to California. We can go on and on. Let me tell you, we've done it. So we have this really long rope, and then you come back here, and you look at this rope, and you put a little black mark on the rope. Just a little mark. And that mark, if you can imagine it, that's our time here on earth. The rest of the rope is eternity. The rest of the rope 
however long and far that goes on. Can you see the difference between the small amount of time we have here and all the time we get to be with Jesus? So when we talk to our kids about that, we talk to them about the importance of what we're going to do in that line on the rope. Because sometimes I get caught up in things that aren't going to matter for the rest of the rope. And so when we talk about foster care, we talk about kids from hard places. Is this going to be hard? If you get involved, no matter what, even if you're just babysitting once a week, is it going to be hard? It probably will. Ask Tyler. He's had my kids many times, and, you know, we've had some moments. Is it going to take all your resources? It took all of ours, all of them. Is it going to break your heart? My heart breaks for my son every day. But it's this much time here, and it's about the rest of the time, and how many of these 400,000 kids are we going to take with us? And as the church, how is that our responsibility? Is it our responsibility? It is to make sure that we're helping these families, that we're pouring into these kids who won't otherwise know Jesus. We have an incredible opportunity to spend our time in the line on the rope bringing some kids to the kingdom, and then watching what God does with that. Because you know what? Dakota and all my kids, they're going to make changes for the kingdom. I believe it. In all this, we cannot forget about salvation. God has a son, and he sent him to the cross to bring, us, bring his sons and daughters home. We are without hope in a future. We were chosen by no effort or merit of our own, but by a loving God. And it's because of his loving sacrifice that we have the privilege of calling him God, Abba, Father. We thank you all for listening to us and giving us this opportunity. Teresa and I have been offered an opportunity to, through the HESBA 62 for, to connect with Wesleyan churches across the country. We also have built relationships with a couple of non-profit organizations to be able to travel when we travel and speak with them, too. Although we'll be leaving Greensboro momentarily, this is our home church, and we covet your prayers and support and covet lots and lots of prayers. And we thank you. Amen. I hope you were encouraged and inspired and, and challenged because even though uh, they're about to get out on the road and go to uh, all kinds of churches and, and uh, we're excited that they're going to a lot of Wesleyan churches uh, as well, that doesn't mean God couldn't spark your heart right here to be a family that's willing to foster or adopt uh, right here at Windover Hills. You know several in our church already and uh, you don't have to say, well, isn't there an ideal age range I have to be or, or, or some of the other? No, you just have to launch out on what God wants you to do and uh, trust him for those details. And there's a great support system that'll walk you through it as well. Now, you may have heard that and said, yeah, that's kind of a crazy story there um, as well. But you got to understand this family also uh, just sold their house. It's under contract, right? Um, 
and is looking for an RV to get in and go as a family so they can be on the road all the time doing this ministry. That's how much they believe that churches and Christians have to be involved in this. And so that's them traveling around to different uh, states and churches, and that's going to happen really soon here. And so uh, we're, we're this morning calling on you as a congregation also in a couple ways. One, I, I don't see any reason why this morning through two services, we can't walk away with about 50 prayer partners right here from this Uh, to travel in. And the Lord might so put it on your heart this morning. You say, hey, I have a contact here. I know somebody here. I know some. Or you might just say, I want to just pour out and finance one for them. You know, um, you never know whatever God might be calling you to do in this area. Um, But 50 prayer partners this morning. And then how can God use you? And here's the final thing is we're going to be asking over the course of this next week that you would just give like your very best love offering to this family. Um, your very best financial gift you can give to kind of get them started and get them out on the road and doing certain things. I mean, you know what the, the gas prices even look like right now, okay? So everything you can do to help and bless this family financially to get them going would be huge. And so uh, you'll see there's a giving tab at windoverhills.org uh, slash give, and you can just follow that tab, and it says Ball Family on there, and so it'll 100% go straight Towards them if you'll give to that. Uh, so today or throughout this week, that tab will leave up there. But we'd like to see a big push this week with some financial gift that we can bless this family before they get going. So sound good? Understand what we're doing? All right, wonderful. Um, thanks so much for sharing this morning. We look forward to hearing more. We've been talking about ways that they can update us from the road with video clips and things like this. So you always know what's, what's going on. And so we're excited about that. Hey, couple of